0: Look at what happens. Look at the incredible blessings for God's people. Chapter sixty, verses one through nine. See if you can visualize this. One through nine. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the
1: Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and the thick darkness of the people. But the Lord will arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your life, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the desert. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall return to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall come to you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall proclaim Jesus, news, the praises of the Lord. All the plots of Kedar shall be gathered to The rams of Neviath shall I minister to They shall come up with acceptance of my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like the clouds and like doves to their windows? So the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish to bring your children from
0: afar, their silver and gold with them. In the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. So, as a result of the Redeemer coming to Zion, 5920, what do you see in Zion now? What? Light and God's glory and brightness is to be reflected in his people. Remember chapter 59, long about 9, 10, 11, how dark things were and now they have the brightness of God. Now, when man tries to glorify himself, there is no positive result. But when God comes, he brightens and glorifies his people. And as the glory of God, shines upon his people as they glow with his light, what happens in verse 3? Yeah, absolutely. The light of God in the lives of his people draw others, even uh, nations and kings who are impressed by the glory of God that that is seen in his people. Reminds you so much of obvious passages like Matthew 5. You're the light of the world. And uh, the idea of us being the light is that others would glorify God through us as they see God reflected in our actions and attitude and speech. And so he said, look, and what do you see happening? Why, you see your sons and your daughters brought from all over the place. And, and you're just thrilled at their wealth. The wealth of all these nations comes to you. See the camels bringing gold and frankincense and, and all these people from all these nations coming to God, coming to God's people and bringing their wealth and glory with us. Now, perhaps verse 6 reminds you of something specific, doesn't it? That yeah, remember the wise man that come to Jesus with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I think that was sort of a foreshadowing of what we're looking at here. I don't think this is specifically so much just that. But that's typical of what you see as Christ is preached in the New Testament. People from all over the world, even Paul would say in Romans 16, some of Caesar's household have been brought to the light. And they brought their glory and influence uh, there. And they go up to the altar and they worship God. And uh, they, in, in the end of verse uh, 6, they become evangelists in their own right. They bear good news of the praises of the Lord. And uh, they come on ships bringing their children and bringing silver and gold uh, because God has glorified his people. And so when, when the, 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 the Redeemer comes to Zion, you see the light, the glory of God reflected in his people and that attracting people from all nations and their, their goods that are brought to glorify the Lord himself. That is shining among his people. That's precisely, I think, what you see in the New Testament. Exactly what ought to be done today. It ought to be that we reflect the light, and glory of God, and that others are brought to God because they can see the light of God in us. I'll some questions? Yes. There are things that's behind
1: me. 6 and 7 all the animals that are brought young camels are brought
0: flocks are brought, rams are brought probably sacrifices if not just the idea of their wealth yes J.D. can you
1: talk a little bit about how the light of God in us is a light that attracts people but yet we look at Jesus who
0: not at all trying to pay attention to himself or trying to be an a a particular way. How do you do that today? Yes, well the light is not uh, a light from ourselves. It's not that we are displaying ourselves. It's the light of God's righteousness and God's character and God's grace that shines. Sometimes people try to uh, you know, use their own techniques to make themselves bright. Well, that certainly doesn't lead to any positive results. But, he says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So if we have the light of God in us, if we really reflect the character and the heart, the integrity of God, what we do will be good and people will by God, not us. They won't won't be attracted so much to us as to God through us, because we live like God. You know, I would cite also a passage like Philippians chapter 2, which is really powerful when he says in verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach. in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Um, We live in darkness, the darkness of lust, the darkness of greed, the darkness of injustice, and selfishness, and pride, and so forth. And when, when we don't live that way, well, now it's a little sunny today. If I took a good flashlight outside on a sunny day. What would it do? Huh? Probably not much of it. But what if it's pitch dark and I take a good flashlight outside? When the world is so wicked and so corrupt, a Christian carriage stands out now it doesn't always provoke a good response it depends on the heart of the people and if we don't like to be different we're going to really struggle with these things because uh, when we don't say what they say when we don't pursue what they pursue when we don't love what they love when our life is a rebuke because it's filled with integrity and righteousness it's going to stand out like a sore thumb for a lot of people because they don't want somebody righteous around them. But it's also going to be appealing to some people who since their emptiness and degradation are looking for, for God. And so they see God in people who are willing to live for God and stand for God and hold forth that word of life and declare the Lord and His word. And uh, so I think, I think this is a matter of our character being God's character, of our deeds being God's deeds. And as that happens, people see God in us. And some people are repelled and hate us. And some people are attracted to God by seeing God live in people's hearts. Roger. One example you
1: gave me was uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 about what our our the glory was reflected on Moses and the, of the light was reflected on the people in the same way with us we come to know God better His glory is going to be reflected on us and then we're going
0: to be able to reflect it tomorrow Amen Yeah, I agree three, that's very good And
1: then in four, he says For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge
0: of the glory of God in the face of Christ it's not about us. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly right. I mean, we need to be changed to the point where you look at us and you see Christ. I mean, maybe you can think of some people in your life that really reflect Christ. You see godly character and, and true dedication. You know, some of you see that and people like Sewell and Gardner Hall, that, you know, you don't see those as guys who are going around blowing their own horn and trying to make sure they impress everybody and they draw attention to themselves. You see them just the opposite. You see them as humble people who try not to draw attention to themselves but who are so filled with the Lord that you can't help but see God. When you look at them, that is such a powerful influence on people who love God when they can see God in people's lives. You'll never do that by trying to impress people. When it's just a facade and trying to make myself look good, make people think I'm good, it's hollow. It may be superficially attractive and then it's repulsive. You, you You just live God. you you make God your life you serve him, you care about him you don't worry about well are people noticing (laughs) have they they caught that yet forget it be God live for him day in day out in season out of season whether it's popular or whether it's not you're going to do what God wants you to do and be what he wants you to be And, and his life will shine through
2: When you lie to yourself for so long, like having that attitude, it's hard to change. Um, Yeah, I mean that's that's a pattern that you get yourself into. That that it's hard to change that mentality of trying to exalt yourself and show everybody else how how good you are.
0: uh, We grew up that way, you know. It it amazes me. There's there's, just not saying there's never any grain of truth in this but it amazes me how often parents will correct their children by mostly by well what will people think if you do that well what what will what will the christians say about that or or whatever and and so we're kind of trained early on to mostly think what are other people going to say don't hear as often what would the Lord think? You know, how would he feel about it? That's what we need to work You know, it, it's a much less consequence what anybody thinks as as the Lord thinks. When you look at it that way, it changes you a lot because uh, if all you're concerned about is what people think, what you think? They didn't even get by it. You can't hide it.
3: There are a lot of people who,
1: are, who are in the world who are very sincere uh, about their faith, but they're sincerely wrong. Uh, something that I struggle with is how how do you know if you love God? How do you you can't really rely on your conscience or your feelings because they can be you can be sincerely wrong, like Paul was. How do you know that you How I know that I love God? How can I?
0: Well, what does somebody, how does somebody act who does love God? They really seek Him. They they listen and they seek and they yearn for His word and His will. And they're sincere in seeking to please Him in their lives.
2: It's not so much like emulating other people, but it's not allowing yourself to... I don't know, it's hard to look at yourself, but like... It's not letting yourself say, well, my actions meet up with the Bible. It's like, what, what is my heart? You know? It's hard to see your Lord, but you can't
0: lie to yourself. I think mean, it's honesty. Let's really love God. Let's—that You know, what did Jesus do? Go back to chapter 5 not to do my own will, but the will of who sent me. I didn't speak my own words. I didn't take my own initiative. Chapter 15, verse 4, and following was the idea of the, the tongue of a disciple opening his ears every morning to hear the word of the Lord not being disobedient, sending his face like foot, to just give himself to God. It should be that, that, that we get to where we don't think about ourselves very much. I've used this illustration before, but maybe this would be helpful. Um, the, the summer of 1980, I uh, lived with a preacher in kind of a training program in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. I lived with Odd McKee, who's, uh, I think he's still alive, but would be quite old now. He was in his 60s at that time. And a uh, really good man. Uh, not someone who in a worldly sense would be particularly impressive. Um, not a scholar or anything like that, but a very fine man and uh you know i wanted to learn a lot good and so i asked tons of questions you know we were together a bit, and and something really stood out to me and impressed me he was the kind of guy who he, was, he was just always serving he he, he he cared He's, he, he was he was very sincere i think everybody who saw him would say he was sincere he was kind of very energetic for his age but but uh, you know just very very much wanted to do what the lord wanted to do And the thing that impressed me after being in his home for three months is that he ever thought about himself I mean he would answer questions very unselfconsciously I don't really saw him ever really pretty much thought to himself I mean his life really was the Lord was, was serving people and, and I mean it just seemed like that, that just sort of defined him I mean I, he didn't really connect and I don't think all that much about what he felt or what he thought or what he wanted that really didn't enter directly. It was impressive he really encouraging. To see somebody whose whose life was really just the Lord, and and not in a way that he wouldn't like to say that, you know, i think not even sure be thought about that. And it almost struck me that he hadn't really hadn't really dawned on him that his life was the Lord. It was so much that he didn't have much personal identity. He just he was just a servant of God. I mean, he it just it's what he did. It's what he'd done for a long time. I think that's the ideal. We always just get to where we lose ourselves to God. We want the Lord's will to be done. We care about the Lord. We love the Lord. We love His will. We love His righteousness. We love His word. I mean, Those things are the things we want. That's what that we care about. Um, and, and so, you know, ultimately, we don't have much personal identity. We don't want a personal identity. Our identity is the Lord. We just give ourselves to Him. Now, I mean, obviously, that's a growth process. Um, but but that's that's I think what you see in a disciple a disciple doesn't have his own will his own initiative, his own words he has the Lord thoughts um, on in
1: that uh, I guess one thing I see is not only that we need to see ourselves so, but we can see each other as just the Lords. Um, I guess I've experienced a lot where uh, especially when you do something in the public service you know, um, you know, in a worship service or something, you, know, you lead a prayer, you lead a scripture you present a talk or a or, or scene whatever, people come up and you know, oh that was so good, you did such a good job you know, they're bragging, bragging, bragging and um, that's not beneficial I mean, all it does is, is fill people with pride and it provides them a stolen block and it's not um, you know, provides any glory to God and I mean, I definitely should encourage each other in that and I mean, I, I Part of it. We need to be able to strike that balance between encouraging people to glorify God and not encouraging people um,
0: to get glory for themselves. Amen. And that's he always give me opportunities to uh in my soapboxes, but we just make way too much out of being in front of the people at church. You know, it got glorified more by the leader of the song than the singer in the pew more by the leader of the prayer than the person who's praying you know, and uh, their seat and so uh, uh, all, all somebody up front is doing is, is serving there's, there's no special credit I hear people say, you know well I feel like I'm growing, I've now been able to get up front and do this well fine, unless well, there's somebody else up front I guess, but I I' not mean you're spiritually grown I mean maybe you've got a little more courage or something I don't know and I what, serve well, do it well, do it for the Lord. I mean, that's not a bad thing, but it's like, it's like we, we almost think that just the act of getting up in front of people suddenly has merit. I, I was impressed by this. It's kind of a tangent, but it's a good one, I think. Um, you know, because, I mean, some of that reflects so little effort. It doesn't take much. Perhaps there's a little bit more, if we a little point to it. I was I was really encouraged. I've not told this story very much, but I was really encouraged on my trip to Brazil. One of the a, a new congregation formed out of another that wasn't doing well has started in in uh, Fortaleza, and uh, this church has about thirty five people. It's really, really encouraging group, really. and uh, there's a young man I think he's nineteen who leads the songs, and uh, wow really encouraging. Um, he came and spent uh, Saturday afternoon uh, with me. We'd had a young people study on Saturday morning, so he hung out Saturday afternoon. He was working on the songs. And and he was not, I didn't feel like he was trying to draw attention to himself at all. I was asking questions and he was answering. But, but what I found out was, he starts preparing the songs on Monday. You know, he starts working on them. He, he, they, he has a, uh, like a, a a sheet that he copies with all the songs he's going to use in the circle. They don't have books or anything, so he's picking out the songs and then he practices them and he thinks about them and he meditates on them and he memorizes them and he sings them over and over again. And he had me singing with him some the songs and 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 meditating on them and working on them. Now the thing I observed and I'd seen him once before in the other church doing that as well. It, it, he did he did it very well, but he didn't draw attention to himself. I didn't feel like you know it was a big him at all. But, but but I could really see both times. He really, you could tell he was really singing those songs with with a love for God and with a, a real feeling for what they were saying. He just really gave himself to doing that. Well, that's cool. Um, maybe there's a little bit more encouragement and value in that. But and and we need to take public worship seriously. And if if we're leading and we put some thought into that, well, thank God for that. that. That that's a helpful thing. But. But God is honored when we glorify him, not when we're in front of people. And so I just think we need to de-emphasize the glory of being in front of people. It's not a big deal. Anybody can do it. It's it is, Why don't we uh, look at 10 to 18 here.
3: Borders shall build the walls, and the kings shall minister to you. For my wrath I struggle with you, but in my favor I have mercy on you. Your gates shall be open over- continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. The, the people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in the procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nation, nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you the cypress, the plain, and the pine to beautify uh, the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who have afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse the breasts of the kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmakers peace testmasters righteousness. The shall no more be heard in your land devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your wall salvation and your
0: gates praise. You see the huge blessing and change that's taking place among God's people. It had been, the nations had been trampling them down. Now the foreigners build up their walls, their kings serve you. God instructed them in his wrath and his compassion he was blessing. And their gates are open continually, never closed. For what? Yeah, for the nations to be able to come in to bring their wealth. Um, But there'll be some. Verse 12, who would stubbornly refuse God's light and God's glory, what will happen with those nations? Laid waste. They'll be laid waste. They'll perish and be ruined utterly. The glory of Lebanon, and all the trees of Lebanon will come to make the sanctuary beautiful. And they'll come, the sons of those who afflicted you will come bound to you bowing themselves on the soul of your feet, calling you the city of the Lord. When, when the Lord in his holiness is present with his people, some in the world will, will humble themselves and will, will come and bow down. And uh, it's really, you know, encouraging, impressive picture. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, verse 15, I will make you an everlasting pride and joy. God is changing them so much. They'll, they'll, they'll be able to, to be blessed by the kings and the nations instead of having their stuff sucked down by them. And uh, look, at, look at how much better it will be. Instead of bronze, gold. Iron, now silver. Wood, now bronze. Stones, now iron. God God gives new blessings. And he gives peace. And he gives righteousness. And gives salvation and praise. It's just various picturesque ways of describing the great blessings that God is going to bring for these people who didn't, who were worthless. But as God transforms them, as they turn from transgression, God makes something out of them. What a what a beautiful picture and encouragement. And, uh, you know, if, if you're questioning at all, you know, wonder, wonder what this applies to or whatever, you re- might remember that in this very context, almost in the middle of it, you'll have 61, 1 to 3, talking about Jesus, and cited to Luke 4, when Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is really primarily a picture of the blessings that Jesus brings for us, of the beauty that he brings us, of the of the way he makes something out of us. Comments and questions? Mike. Yeah, I was thinking, this,
2: it starts off kind of like Nehemiah when they return and uh, how things were in the grave, the kings maybe ministering to them the tent, and they back women's supplies, and they would help, help the Jews rebuild. But you really only see Jesus in the letter because when, the, when Nehemiah came back in, he shut the gates because the foreigners that came in weren't being weren't a blessing and vice versa. They're being, being that deluding influence still. And Nehemiah shut the gates because the people still had to wholly the themselves to God. But this is greater fulfillment of Jesus than others. I mean,
0: yeah, excellent point. And I think there is a, a sort of shadowy a pre-fulfillment, even like in Ezra, you see, uh, and, and Nehemiah, that uh, the uh, the Persian treasury was tapped into for some of the work of the rebuilding the sanctuary and and, the city and so forth. But but what you see is exactly what Michael says. This this blows that way, goes way beyond that. That's just a a shadow. Uh, typical fulfillment but the, the real the reality here goes way beyond that john i'm just starting to realize how repeated
1: this message is throughout the old testament throughout the prophets um uh, zechariah and Haggai talked the same kind of language about the wealth of the nations and and the, the situation of the kingdom at that time
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, and have a number of parallels in Revelation 21 as well. Uh, typical prophetic themes. Uh, it's so helpful when we've studied the prophets more and more, then these things are more familiar yeah. to us. Matt? Something about the uh, walls being salvation and the
1: gates of praise literally, like they're so, like it's a part of who they are now that salvation's not going anywhere and the opportunity to praise you know. That's it. Excuse me. It was at 10 they're blessings from God. They're protecting the, the walls.
0: to 22.
3: smallest
0: one in my nation. I am the Lord, and it's time of hasten it. So we in this city, the sun and the moon are no more. Isn't that sad? (laughs) What do they do? Yes. So the sun and the moon are so outshone that they don't even have any impact anymore in the great light of God with their glory. might I going to make a point about that that I think would be a relevant application? If the sons of youth cannot contribute to the glory of this city, how could the light of human wisdom and human philosophy ever add anything to the glory of God's people? You know, when you really see how bright God is, there's nothing man has ever thought or said that can really increase at all the glory of this city. Sometimes we're way too concerned with with our own thoughts and know, sophisticated human uh, speculations, but we have something much brighter, the brightness and glory of the Lord himself that illuminates this city. And uh, all this is done by God with the branch of his planet, the work of his hands, that God may be glorified. When we see this as God's accomplishment, then God receives the glory. And notice verse 22. The smallest one will become a clan, the least one a mighty nation. Through Christ, we see the victory of the most unlikely people. 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4. You know, it is not the mighty and the noble and the rich and the powerful that God calls. God exalts the lowly and the humble. We are way too impressed with people who are somebody in this world. God exalts the nobodies in this world. That's who he chooses. Comments and questions? This reminds me of the scene that you
2: see in Revelation twenty-two, um, yeah. where there is no longer any need for light, as the light of
0: uh, God will all of them. Yeah, you've got that figure several times throughout the the Bible, and it's an impressive picture. Other thoughts. God, through Christ, glorifies and blesses His people. He is with them, and they shine for Him. Something like that. Other thoughts? So we can't
2: read into it too much.
0: I think we're better off not reading into it too much. I mean, it's the question of how many details in a parable are specifically saying something and some of them are, but many of them are setting the, the overall picture. I'm not I'm not big on allegorizing this too much. Tim. That's encouraging
1: as that they are and we can see how uh, these compliance mean, we can see how some of these things are similar to the Kingdom God established, and we, get better, and we get better. But it does give me a sense of feel a little sorry for some people in Christ day, when we see people who didn't believe, they just had hearts in their awful place, and that was no fault. But, you know, he's giving us these, describing the spiritual glory in physical terms. And I just imagine, that still, people must be somewhat difficult to look at these passages and not hope for something physical. I mean, I know that's not right, but just, I just, I i something
0: Well, you can see that uh, God challenges us with his word. He doesn't make all of it just superficial. I mean, we do have to study and really think and be perceptive. Um, It's not that we have to be in a rational job. We have to put a lot of effort into it. And uh, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, it might have been difficult to recognize. Uh, but, But I think... There were those who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem that saw in Jesus